You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here, and I want to welcome you to church. It's great to be together this morning. Great to have you watching. Great to have you joining us from wherever you are. Um, it's 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 great to be together as a family, and uh, I'm super excited about our study this morning. I think uh, um, it's something that has really been on my heart a lot the last few months, and partly because I just took a class on that was titled Hospitality, and our sermon today is Hospitality, the Spirit of God. And, and and to be honest with you, I never would have connected hospitality to the Spirit of God before I did this study and before I took this class. But um, but I've learned so much, and and it's really been moving and inspiring, and I can't wait to share it with you. Um, our key scripture is Hebrews thirteen, and um, it's it's a classic scripture in Hebrews. He says, "Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters." That's verse one. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing some, by for for by doing, excuse me, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So it's a really cool scripture, you know. Verse one, he just says, "Keep on loving each other, guys." You know, brothers and sisters, keep loving each other, and I appreciate that admonition. I think it's an important admonition, especially in these times where, in a lot of ways. Churches across around the world, church the church across Los Angeles and in our region is suffering from a disconnect because we haven't seen each other because we haven't spent the time. You know, back in the day we were together three or four or five days a week, and that's kind of downgraded to to two or maybe three times a week. And then with the pandemic, that's been more like zero or one time a week, you know, and so, so it's really been a lot, been pretty challenging staying connected. So I appreciate the challenge to just keep loving each other. You know, that's, that, that's just a clear opening right there. But the topic is hospitality. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And there's a lot of really cool stuff here and we're going to unpack it. So hospitality, what, what what is that? I mean, I know it's a, you can go to college and get a degree in hospitality, and that's really about hotel and restaurant management, you know, and, and if you Google hospitality, that's what comes up, you know, courses and certi- certifications and, and degrees in hospitality, and it's really about hotels and Airbnbs and and bread and breakfasts and all this stuff that involves and in, in, in taking care of visitors or guests or travelers or um but then typically in the church setting when we think of hospitality at least me i always pictured these little ladies baking pies and having tea parties and you know and and having a, ba- a buffet or not a buffet uh maybe a potluck lunch or something that that's kind of what i always thought of as church hospitality in reality it's a major theme in the bible it's a major theme, very much connected to the spirit of God, and that what was is what is so surprising and inspiring to me, and especially as we understand it, and we're going to really kind of dive in and take it apart. How important it is to our world right now, and with everything going on in our world, and 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 how important it is to the church, 
and how important it is to our world that we're living in right now. The church has been very involved in hospitality since the very beginning. I ran across this a long time ago and I dug it back up. Um, it was a letter from the Emperor Julian to one of his officials. And he says in the letter, it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever had to beg and the impious Galileans, that's the Christians, that's what they called us, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people, the pagans, the non-Christians, lack aid from us. And he was making a comment about how Jews and Christians take care of each other. That when there was when there was um, a famine, they fed each other. When there was a drought, they provided water for each other. In times of necessity, they housed each other and took care of one another. That's what the church was known for. But not only themselves... But the whole city, you know, it was it was a time in history where where for the very first time in the history of the world, huge metropolises were growing. These huge cities, Rome and Ephesus and Corinth and, you know, in and, and Alexandria and even Jerusalem, these all these major cities. And so for the first time, there's this urban culture growing. And as in any city, you've got homeless people, you got hungry, you got hungry, hunger, hunger issues, you've got all kinds of social issues, and the Christians were the ones taking care of people. And that's what the early church was known for in the cities. They would take care of people. They would feed people. They would even shelter people. And certainly today, if you look up charity groups, many of them, if not probably most of them, uh, are all based in some church or some Christian organization, like the Red Cross or World Vision or Hope Worldwide. You know, they're all based on faith or faith-based organizations because of how God cares about everybody. So we see that, you know, it's not just, it's not just, you know, a, a thing of baking cakes for, or cupcakes or pies for a few neighbors or something. It's much bigger than that. So we go back to that scripture, our theme scripture. He says, keep on loving one another's brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's been one of those cool little scriptures that we, we don't really know a lot about. We don't know exactly what he meant, you know, generally speaking. And and most everybody knows somebody that had an angel story, right? I've actually shared a couple of my own in, in different lessons of when I encountered uh, somebody who I really suspect may have been an angel, you know, somebody who did something powerful or miraculous or, or incredible blessing from that person. And I've had several of them in my life. You hopefully, maybe you've had one, or maybe you know somebody who's had one. Um, and it's always pretty cool, you know, just the thought that, that there are angels among us. And sometimes that street person that we give a dollar to is actually an angel or that person we reach out to and help is actually an angel. And that's basically what he's saying. I think that the, the, the idea comes from, um, and most scholars would agree with this, would say this comes from a, a scene in the Old Testament with Abraham. And I'm going to read the scene. It's actually kind of a lot of reading, so just hang in there with me. And if you want, just close your eyes and listen. Um, try to picture the scene. So Abraham is in the promised land with Sarah, or Sarah, Sarai, and and they are traveling, right? Abraham, Sarah. And, and it says in uh, Genesis 18, verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. 
While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they, now that you've come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham is, you know, hanging out in the tents, the heat of the day, it's hot, you know, in that part of the world, it gets pretty hot in the day. And he sees these three strangers. And this is key. There's three strangers, uh, three three men standing nearby. Now, there's a lot of debate about who they were. We know because of the language, he addresses them as Lord, as in, as in you know, capital L, Lord. You know, I mean, right here, it's, it's small Lord. But later on, it, it says the Lord spoke to him as one of the angels. Of course, uh, theologians think that maybe the three were actually the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they came as angels. And this happens a lot. You'll see like when Moses spoke to the angel of the Lord, and then it says the Lord told him, or the Lord said, or Joshua. So sometimes, you know, it's you're speaking to an angel, but it's actually God. Or they, they think they're speaking to a man, but it's actually an angel. You know, and, and that happens with Mary. She thought the gardener was at the tomb and it was actually an angel of the Lord, you know. And, and, and I think it's, I think it's referring to this. And we see what, what Abraham does. And we continue reading in verse six. Says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sails of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then bought, brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now keep in mind, Abraham and Sarah are very old at this point. Okay, I think Abraham was like 99 and, and Sarah, I forget, I think she was 75 or something like that. So they're, they're way beyond childbearing years. Um, but clearly, this is no ordinary stranger. Clearly, these are messengers from God and speaking on God's behalf. And um, But, but we, we, we see something interesting here. We see that um, the custom of being hospitable. You see strangers, what do you do? You reach out to them. You offer them shelter. In fact, uh, in in these times, like if if you were a traveler, you would go and you you arrived at some village or or a town. You would go to the square and you would sit, and people would see you and they would invite you to come stay with them in their homes, and they would feed you, they would clothe you, or uh, they would give you water to drink, and if you needed a change of even of clothing, and a place to sleep. That was very much the custom. That was, that was just what God's people do. They're supposed to take care of each other, right? So when you see somebody in need, you meet the need, and that's what Abraham was doing. And it's interesting, because Abraham, of course, becomes the great father of faith, he becomes the really he's to to this day he's the patriarch of 
of three of the world's largest religions, right? Christianity, Islam, and, and Judaism. Um, um, you know, they're the, uh, I think something like half the world or more than half the world looks to Abraham as their spiritual father. And so it's a pretty major deal, but it's interesting to me that how they pick Abraham, he's the one that extends hospitality. So hospitality, it's an expression of love where you feed, you water, you shelter, you give protection, and you give blessing too. And then some of the different examples, the, 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 the master of the house, the owner of the house would bless the people that are staying with him. And he would buy, and part of the blessing is the water, the food, the shelter, even the protection. You know, when the angels got to, 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 uh, Sodom and, and, and Lot invites him to his house and he feeds him. And, you know, when the people of the village attack, he protects them, right? That's all part of being hospitable. It's taking care of each other. It's caring for one another. And here's the amazing thing is this is the way God is. God as a host, it's all through scripture. When God invited or sent Abraham to the promised land, he took care of him. He blessed his flocks. He had plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of shelter. He always took care of Abraham. Abraham actually became very wealthy. So did Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. All of them were taken care of. God was their host, right? Um, Moses, when he leads the people out of Egypt and they go through the desert where there's no water and there's no food, God provides the water and the food to take care of them and provides the pillar of fire to, to guide them and even angels to protect them, right? Um, Joshua, when he takes the promised land, God is with him. God takes care of him. God meets his needs and leads them in. David, when he inherits the kingdom and takes over the kingdom of Israel, God blesses him and takes care of him. And then, of course, we have Jesus' example, who was often seen at banquets, often seen, and he would invite people, and he would they would come. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 3,000. So giving food, you know, feeding people, giving people water, giving people shelter, shade, care, it's all part of God's heart. It's part of what we, what God does with us and what he expects us to do with each other. And Jesus really set the standard. I mean, how many times do you see Jesus sitting at a table eating with people? You know, and, and how many times, even if it wasn't his table, which it usually wasn't, right? Um, he would have people that were there, his guests, you know, and of course he tells the parable of the great banquet where, where he tells them, go out into the streets and the blind and the lame and the, and the poor, invite them in, have them all come to my banquet, right? And this was Jesus' teaching and Jesus' practice about taking care of each other and feeding each other. And in an essence, this is what God does with us. Jesus is the water of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is who sustains us, right? So, so it's all in there of how God takes care of you and me. And we totally see it in the early church, you know, in Acts chapter two, and I know there's a lot of words real tiny. Let me read it to you. Um, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I mean, they really took care of each other. They made sure that nobody in their group was too poor or hungry or no water to drink or no shelter. They met the need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. I mean, look at how many times food is involved here. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They ate together all the time. They were always eating together and breaking bread together and sharing together. And of course, this ends up becoming officially the communion, the, the, the Lord's table is what it was always referred to. The Lord's table where everyone is welcome. And, and where the, we break bread and we share. And, and they just kept doing it. In chapter four, the very, very next chapter, we read, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them and all, excuse me, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. Everything, everybody had what they needed. Food, water, shelter. He says, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I mean, that's how tight-knit they were. And, and, and people said, well, what's the vision for our church? There's the vision right there. That we love each other, we take care of one another, we're there for for each other. We are the family of God. And I know that, I'm sure there's parts of this that deep down inside, they challenge us. It challenges us. Man, do I really believe in Jesus' church enough that I would sell my property and give it to the elders of the church or give it to the leadership of the church to be able to take care of the needs of people in the church? I mean, I, I think that probably challenges some of us, challenges our faith, challenges our commitment to God. But that's really what it is. That is the kingdom of God. That is his church. That is how things went. And that's how what we're being called to, to love each other, to first of all, love God and to love each other that much. And you can't separate the two. That's why when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, love each other because you cannot separate those. So part of them being right with God was being right with each other. Part of them loving God was loving one another. Practical, practicality of love is you take, you take care of each other, right? And that's exactly what God wants us to do. So we go back to our original scripture. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So he calls us not only to love each other, but also to love strangers. To love those we don't know. The word hospitality is philoxenia. That's, that's the word that's translated in the Greek to hospitality. Philoxenia. It's a very interesting word. If we break it down, it has two main parts. Basically, it's really a composition of two words, philo and xenia. Philo is simply love, right? Like the city Philadelphia, brotherly love, 
right? It's that kind of philo. There's remember there's eros and agape and philo, phileo and and stergos. There's different kinds of love. Phileo or philos is brotherly love, love as family, as brothers and sisters. And xenia is stranger or foreigner. Usually translated as stranger or foreigner. It's same idea. It's people not like you. People that are different. Maybe they speak a different language. Maybe they come from a different place. Maybe they're just people you know you don't know. You don't know anything about them. They're a stranger to you. They're a foreigner to you. Uh, and he says, practice hospitality. Philoxenia. Love the strangers. And of course, God has always been concerned about strangers, about foreigners. In Exodus 23, 29, he says, Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Okay, he reminds them, he says, Treat the foreigners good, because remember, you were foreigners. And and don't forget that. You So this kind of ties into the, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Ties into treat others the way you want to be treated, Right. Leviticus 19.34. And these are the laws of God. This isn't just a suggestion. This is what he commanded his people. The foreigners residing among you must be treated as your native born. Isn't that interesting? Don't treat them like foreigners. Treat them like your brothers and sisters, like the people from your people. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Again, he reminds them, don't forget, you know what it's like to be a stranger in a strange land. You know what it's like to be a foreigner. And in Hebrews eleven thirteen, he talks about the church. He's talking about God's people, the Christians even. And he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. And here he's talking about all the heroes of the past, right? And he says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So if you are a spiritual person, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, this is not your home. This is not your country. You're not uh, a French person. You're not a Canadian. You're not an American. You're not a Mexican. You're not a, you're not a Chinese person. You are a kingdom of God person. You are a Christian. You belong to the nation of Christ, to the people of Jesus. That's your people. So therefore, we're all foreigners and strangers here. And that's the perspective that the Bible, that the New Testament teaches us as members of the church. And I think sometimes that clashes with the this patriotism. Oh, I'm an American, you know. No, nah, not really. I mean, if you're a Christian, you're first a Christian. Then you're whatever else, you know, whatever else follows after that. But but our primary identity is Christian, the kingdom of God, right? So we have philoxenia, love the stranger. The opposite of that is xenophobia. Xenophobia, from the word xenos, which means stranger, right? And the word phobia, which means fear. To be afraid of those who are different. To be afraid of those who look different or speak a different language or come from a different background or just that we don't know them. You know, that other family down the street, we don't know them. And to be afraid of them because we don't know them. We tend to fear what we don't know. Ignorance breeds fear, which breeds a lot of ugly things that come out of that. That's where racism comes from. That's where prejudice comes from. That's where having a bias comes from. And they come out of fear 
and fear can easily turn into disgust and judgment. Well, I can't believe those people. Or why do they got to be that way? Or how come they eat that? Or why do they got to look like that? Why do they got to dress like that? You know, and that's that, that, that unfortunately is a major part of our society. And we know that major topic over the last couple of years. And, and, and the Bible absolutely addresses this. Philoxenia is to love those who are different, but it's our human nature to fear what is different. And out of that comes hate groups. You know, you have people that, that in, they, they judge and hate an entire group of people just because, really just because they're different. Because they're not what I know. They're not, they're not who I know or what I'm comfortable for. That has spawned all kinds of racism in America, you know, and we see it in our history. Um, you know, I, I just pulled a few of these up that, that kind of show where we have been in our history. You know, the, the, these, these ugly, ugly statements of who we are and where we are and how we divide ourselves and into us and them. And we push out what are different. Of course, the African American community, the black community has suffered this for hundreds of years and, and, and had to endure this. And it's still to this day bubbling up in a lot of different ways and being exposed in different ways. In the Southwest, it was oftentimes towards Spanish or, or Mexicans. At first they were called Spanish because they spoke Spanish and, and Southwest was once part of Spain. Then it became part of Mexico and they were called Mexicans. And, and, you know, and that's always been there. And there's been a strong fear and therefore prejudice and hatred towards them. Um, of course, a lot of this also happened with the Native Americans, you know, towards Indians and how their land was taken. It happened when the Chinese came to work the railroads and work the land in, in California in the Southwest. And there was an intense backlash towards Chinese and, and pretty much all Asians, didn't matter whether they're from China or Japan or Vietnam or wherever, they were all called Chinese and they were all kind of thrown into the same category. And the crazy thing is it's, it's not even necessarily color, not really. I mean, color is the first and most obvious one. Race, color, it could be language, it can be ethnicity, it can be religion, it can be social, it can be gender. Um, there was a time where, where nobody would hire Irish to work. You, if you were Irish, you were not welcomed. And, and I, I've seen signs, I was looking for them, I couldn't find them, but signs that said, we'll hire Chinese and Mexican, we will not hire Irish. They were signs from the railroad company. You know, there's an, there's an ad here. These are real ads. It says, no Italians allowed. It said, council passed a resolution to the effect that parties receiving the contract for the pave, paving of East Washington Street shall bind themselves not to employ any Italian laborer. You know, and I, I remember as a kid, there was a couple that were friends of my parents and they had moved to Lake Tahoe. They were from Boston. They had, they were telling us how they had to leave Boston because he was Italian or he was Irish and she was Italian and her families, they would not accept each other. They would have nothing to do with each other. And I remember as a little kid sitting there thinking, wait, you're both white. Why wouldn't you accept each other? But it was just the ethnicity, the difference of ethnicity. I mean, typically, oftentimes it was a prejudice against Irish in time because they were Catholic. And America was considered WASP, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And so Catholics were looked down on. And, and so I 
Kennedy had a hard time being elected president because he was Catholic, you know. And then, of course, there's huge prejudice that's been throughout history as well towards Jews and 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 Christians and Muslims oppressing, being prejudicial, being racist, being being ugly, and doing atrocities to Jews for centuries, you know, to blacks for centuries, and and. And it, it just, it's, it, it goes all the way down to gender, you know, women being oppressed, being treated as subhuman, being treated as second class. And this, that still happens. This still happens. I remember I was watching the Women's World Cup and the women won, the American team, the American team, the U.S. team won the World Cup. And the crowd with like a hundred thousand people started chanting equal pay, equal pay. And that was the last World Cup. And that was still, I mean, still happening. The women are paid a lot less than God, than the men's soccer team, even though the men's soccer team has never even made it to the quarterfinals. And the women won the World Cup, and they were still not paid the same. And and so, this happens on all kinds of levels. And it doesn't. It's not just race. It's color. It's like I mean, even within races. I remember um, when I moved to Mexico City when I went on the mission team. Uh, you know, I grew up in California, and, and I went through my share of racism, my share of prejudice-ish situations. When I was in high school, I would have things written on my car. I would have bean burritos smeared all over my windshield, and somebody would write, go home, beaner, or go back to where you came from. And, you know, and, and of course, I'd get really angry, you know, because, hey, my family has been in the California area since the 1700s. When that, and the, California was part of Spain, and then it became part of Mexico. And my family's been here all that time and yet I got deported because I supposedly crossed the border and the reality is I didn't cross the border the border crossed me but but that that's the reality right and I went through all that but so when I moved to Mexico City I thought oh wow this is going to be cool everybody's Mexican it's going to be great what I discovered was people were prejudicial according to your skin color the darker you were and I honestly I've never been so aware of the color of my skin as I was in Mexico City. Because all the rich Mexicans are white. Michelle looks like a, one of the rich Mexicans. Me, I look like an Indian. You know, not totally Indian. I'm not as dark as 100% Indian, but I look very Indian. And I would walk in a store and they would look at me and I could tell the look. What are you doing here? And then as soon as I opened my mouth and started talking, they would realize I'm American. And all of a sudden, I just boom, 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 boom. I get bumped up on the social ladder. And they would treat me really nice, you know. I mean, it was actually to my advantage that I had a, an American accent when I spoke Spanish. I realized that even, I remember when I moved to Miami and I thought, Miami is a city run by Latins. This is going to be great. A U.S. city totally owned, operated, run by Latins. I get there, and whoa, was there such a class and social order. The Cubans were on the top. They looked down on the Puerto Ricans. The Puerto Ricans looked down on the Dominicans. None of them even knew what to do with a Mexican because there were no Mexicans there. But it was like there was so much prejudice among the Latins. And I realized, gosh, it's crazy among and and I've you know I've had people tell me you know even in black culture how dark you are or versus how light you are a light skinned black or a dark skinned black I saw it in in with the Haitians you know the the prejudice against African Americans towards Haitians Haitians towards African Americans I mean it's like this is crazy this is crazy 
it's all over the world. Because you know why? It's not really, it is an American problem. But it's not just an American problem. Because it's a human problem. It's a human problem. Men looking down on women. White or black looking down on white or black. Asian, Hispanic, Caucasian, all judging each other. I mean, and, 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 and what happens is we tend to dehumanize each other. And here's where racism gets really scary. Where we no longer see people as people. We see them as things. There was a fascinating research study that was done on how the brain reacts to different people and to things. And and they were using um, uh, magnetic resonance to see which parts of the brain basically light up, activate in different situations. And talking about middle class ethics and morals and the pride of a middle class person, it actually shows up in the brain that certain parts of the brain light up. Uh, when when a middle class person sees a rich person driving his fancy car, wearing his expensive clothes, things that you'll never afford, the middle class person feels envy. And that shows up in a part of the brain. And then when people would see like an elderly person, you know, or, or an elderly homeless person, and the pity that people feel, the compassion, the empathy, that lights up another part of the brain. And, and, and what was interesting is they would compare how people's brains lit up to seeing different kinds of people, right? That does, does that pity part of your brain, does the part of the brain that feels compassion light up when you see people of different races? And the scary thing was that it was proven that it doesn't, especially races or groups that have been dehumanized. And sometimes it's not even races, but when somebody sees a homeless person, does the compassion light up? Not always so. When somebody sees a drug addict, somebody who clearly is doing drugs on the street, no compassion lights up. There's no compassion in most people. That part of the brain isn't even activated. Or if they see somebody who is very different racially or somebody who's been dehumanized in some way, those people, the blanks, you know, the, the, that, and that's why even labels are so important because they dehumanize when we when we use terms and we use language our language really sets up how we respond and the scary thing is that some people could see somebody from a different race or a different background suffering and the compassion doesn't even light up in other words they don't e- their brains don't even recognize them as human they don't see them as human They have no more pity for them than if they saw a dog suffering or if they saw a, you know, a chopped up tree on the laying on the ground, same response. And yet they would see somebody that looks like them and all the compassion area of the brain fires up and, and that it shows you the depth of how racism, prejudice, bias, ethnocentrism, can affect people. And these are learned responses. We learn this from each other. This is how you end up with the Jewish Holocaust, where millions are murdered. 
and not by just one deranged leader like Hitler, but by normal people in the cities. Normal, an entire nation was behind this, and not just the Germans. And this, the, a lot of these Jews were hunted down in other countries by people, normal people. Or how you get a Cambodian genocide where they killed their own people because they have dehumanized, they have labeled them, and all these, everybody who went, got a college degree was, in their eyes, no longer human, and they could just kill them, slaughter them. Or a Rwanda slaughter where the, where the Hutus and the Tutsis were slaughtering each other simply because they were from different tribes. And, and, I mean, they're from the same part of the world. Their language is similar. They have all these things in common, same color skin, everything. And yet, because they were from a different tribe. What I find is that we always will find a way to dehumanize each other and to separate from each other. (laughs) The easiest one, the obvious one is race. But if we're all the same race, then it's ethnicity. And if we're all the same ethnicity, then language. If we're all the same language, then, I mean, even in our own, all the way down to your own family, parts of family can be prejudiced against other parts of family. You know, and you're the same language, same race, same background. That's just human nature. And we label each other and we start using terms to dehumanize so we don't have to feel compassionate anymore. So you have so many American lynchings uh, of African Americans, I was in I was in a town of uh, last a couple of years ago. It's Placerville, Placerville, California, a little town on the way up to Lake Tahoe. I've been there a hundred times as a kid. We'd stop there all the time because my family was in Sacramento. We lived in Tahoe, and it was always called Hangtown. I never knew why it was called Hangtown. Well, last time I was there, I looked it up. Why was it called Hangtown? It was called Hangtown because they hung so many Mexicans. They hung Mexicans all the time. And all across our country, blacks were hung by, I mean, I don't we, I don't know if anybody's ever done a count, but the thousands. How could that happen? How could humans do that to each other? You know, and of course, the, the Native American massacres were villages, old women, children, babies were just slaughtered. How could that happen? I mean, don't you ever wonder, like, how could humans do this? And I'll tell you one thing, though. Anybody who's ever involved in that, their soul is ripped to pieces. They themselves are destroyed. That's why so many soldiers coming back from Vietnam were haunted and and destroyed on the inside. It happens to soldiers in all wars. Because when you kill somebody or you hurt somebody... It stains, it damages, it tears apart your soul. Actually, Galatians talks about that. He talks about your, uh, he talks about a, a, a ripped apart soul. It doesn't get translated that. It's just double minded, but it actually, it's by, by suhes or two souled. Your soul is ripped apart, but that's how we get all these horrible things that happen. So in contrast, you've got God commanding us to practice philoxenia, love. For those who are different. Love for the stranger. Love for the foreigner. You've got God calling us to what we're supposed to be. What kind of world would we live in if everybody just practiced this? If we practiced hospitality with each other. If we welcomed each other as as brothers and sisters. In 1 Thessalonians 3.12, he says, 
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. It's not just about loving my own, although we should love our own. And our own, by the way, is everybody in the church. Jesus said, who's my mother, my brother? Who are my sisters? Whoever does the will of God. That's my mother, my brother, my sister. And that's the way we should be. That should be our circle. Everybody has a circle. And the circle, everybody in the circle is us. Everybody outside that circle is them. Everybody has it. Who's us and who's them? Jesus said us is everybody who does God's will. But he said, love those, everybody in there. That's who you're kind to. The word kind comes from a word, a root word, kin, which is family. That's all who we consider family, who we're kind to. Jesus said, love those, take care of them, but also love everyone else. So have love not only for those in your circle, but also everybody outside the circle. How different the world would be. Our world is shocked and horrified right now as we watch Russia invading Ukraine, as we see hospitals being bombed, children being hurt, old people fleeing for their lives. And we're shocked and horrified and thousands of young men are enlisting from all over the world, from Ethiopia to to Kansas. They're Canada, they're, they're jumping on planes to go and help the Ukrainians defend their country because the compassion we feel for each other, which is what we're supposed to feel. I don't know if we're supposed to go shoot somebody, but, but we are supposed to care about each other and love one another. Now, I know some of us were hurt, and we should be hurt and horrified and shocked. At least there's videos of some of the racism, even in fleeing the country where black students weren't allowed on the bus or on the train to get out of the country. And the government put out a proclamation, please help the foreigners get out of the country. Please help them. Because this is wrong to treat each other that way. And we're called to love one another. I mean, what a different world we'd live in, right? But that's God's vision. And of all the people on the planet, who should be the example of Philoxenia? Us, the Christians. If we can't do that in the church, who are we kidding that we're going to make any difference in the world? No, we, and you know what, brothers, we have to grow in this. We've got to really learn to love each other and be there for each other and serve one another. I mean, it could start with simple as inviting each other, in, but, but we have to see each other as God sees each other. I love this picture. I've used this picture many times because I think this is how God sees us, all of us, in the beauty of our diversity, the beauty of the rainbow, the, 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 the gamut of colors and cultures and face shapes and, and skin tones. And, and, and I think this is what God, how God sees us through our, through his eyes. And we have to see the early church, they practiced Philoxenia. 
you know, they have this thing called the agape feast, the love feast. It's in, it's mentioned in Jude chapter one, verse 12. He talks about how some people were taking advantage at their love feasts. See, the early church did this. They would bring together the rich, the poor, the men, the women, the slave, the free, the Jews, the Gentiles, all races, all ethnicities, and they would have a communal meal. That's the root of communion. They would have a meal together. It was called the love feast or the agape feast. And that's what he's talking about in Hebrews. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. God tests us. Who are you having into your home? Who are you feeding? Who are you taking out to lunch? Who are you reaching out to? That's what the Christian life is. Who are you serving? Who are you giving to? It's not just the homeless person, although it should be the homeless person. It's not just the kids on the street, although it should be. We better be helping those kids on the street. It's not just taking, you know, a Saturday out of the month and going serving on one of the projects that the community service team is doing, although that is fantastic. And that is wonderful. And I'm so grateful for everybody organizing those things. But it starts at home with the people in our house. It starts in the church with the people in our Bible talk, with the people in our ministry, that we're having each other in our homes, that we're feeding and taking care of and watering and giving protection and love and blessings to each other. That's what made the early church shine so much. So what you don't, well, you know, because I announced it last week, is today, this very day in the park, the metro region is having a love feast. We're having an agape feast. Lord willing, I'm saying this early because we we're recording it early, but that's the plan for Sunday. And what are we doing this Sunday? Well, this Sunday, I'm cooking a giant paella. And we're going to have a big paella, and we're going to share it and have a communal meal together. And this is going to be part of our metro culture is potlucks and special Sundays of just sharing a meal together, just like our first century Christians. I don't want to be part of the problems of the world. I don't want to be xenophobic. I don't want to be part of the xenophobia out there. I want to be part of the philoxenia, of the love of each other, the love of strangers, the love of foreigners. I want to be part of the solution be part of the solution as once was said darkness cannot drive out darkness hate cannot drive out hate only love can drive out hate and so we got to practice love guys we're the church we got to be really good at this so good that everybody knows us for this and so yeah love feast is just a small event but it represents something much deeper, much bigger. And we got to have love feasts with each other in our Bible talks, in our region, in our life. So next time, when you hear we're having a love feast, make sure you're there. Or have one in your home. Have one with your Bible talk. Have a potluck. Cook everybody something special. If you can't cook, then go buy something and everybody sits down and shares it. But let's practice Philoxenia. God bless you and buen camino. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. 
For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.